Welcome to another edition of San Joaquin Spotlight. This is a public affairs broadcast. We're airing on CMAC, Comcast 93 and AT&T 99. We're on Talk Radio 1550 KXEX on the AM dial all over the Central Valley of California. And finally, we're on podcasts, Spotify for podcasters. Our guest this week is Professor Barlow Dermagardichian with the Armenian Studies Program at California State University, Fresno. Professor, welcome to the program. Thank you, Sevan. Usually when I talk to you, I, I, you know, I love talking to you. We talk about a lot of things. This time, it's a little depressing topic we're going to talk about, and it's a lot going on in Nagorno-Karabakh. What is the latest that you're hearing? Because this situation is evolving by the minute. Yeah, the the problem is that uh, we get information not on time and then not necessarily accurate information. What I What I learned, and I'm not sure again how accurate it is, is that as a result of the Azeri attack uh, against Artsakh, that the government of Artsakh has signed a, uh, an agreement sort of to stop any further invasion, but in exchange for giving up basically their independence, I mean, giving up their weapons and their army and becoming part of Azerbaijan. So this is really, really shocking news that, that I'm hearing. And I as well, we woke up yesterday or a few days ago and we had heard that Azerbaijan had invaded and began attacking positions of Nagorno-Karabakh. That quickly escalated. So what does it mean if it's true that Azerbaijan will take control of Nagorno-Karabakh, Artsakh, as Armenians know it? What happens to the Armenians living there? I look at it as really just one of two options, uh, because one is that life becomes so intolerable under Azeri rule that the Armenians leave, that the Armenians of Artsakh would leave their historic land and their, their homes and their farms. Second would be that it's they're going to live under Azeri rule, and it's just going to be I can just picture or imagine because we know the historical record that they'll live in that area, but they're going to be oppressed. That is economically, politically, uh, with lots of pressure on them because the goal of Azerbaijan is simply to ethnically cleanse that, that region. And whether it's in the short term or the long term, I'm sure they'll make conditions uh, very, very intolerable and difficult. So I don't see a very positive outcome. Some people are wondering, how can this happen in this day and age where tech, we have technology, we have the UN, we have all kinds of different organizations watching? I mean, could it's isn't it shocking that this is happening now? It's shocking only if you don't really, I think, look at what's happened in the world the last, I don't know, several decades, which is namely that unless some major power, some superpower or a major country, their interests align with a smaller people or a smaller country, uh, 
then no one is going to come to that uh, country's defense. And I'm talking here now about uh, Artsakh or Karabakh. I can tell you with 100% certainty that uh, everyone knows what Karabakh and Artsakh is. That's, that is all the governments and all the, the people in power know what it is because they've been talking about it for 30 years at least, about resolutions to it, peaceful resolutions. But it's all just talk because, uh, you know, when action came, when military action came, as you said, nothing nothing changed except except that they were able to invade and no one said, no, stop, don't do it. Uh, you know, use diplomatic means. Didn't matter. They just did it because it's really a fait accompli. That is, you just make it so by doing it and nobody was going to stop it neither russia was going to do anything america and no one else let's talk about russia a little bit some people are saying that this only happened because russia needs azerbaijan for oil and they started noticing that armenia has begun to shift more west could that be possible I think everything is possible with Russia. I think they play with both hands. That That is that they still have an interest, obviously, in Armenia because they control so much of Armenia's economy and uh, have still a lot of influence there. Uh, they did also in Artsakh. I don't know what the deal was that made them say, okay, we're going to allow, not, not stop Azerbaijan from uh, attacking, whether it's again a, to pay a, a you know, to give a lesson to the Armenian Republic, to the leaders in Armenia that, you know, you don't bring U.S. generals to Armenia to practice uh, war games when you're supposed to be part of the Russian sphere of influence. So Russia is a real difficult one to understand for me. Uh, it's their interest, obviously. They just felt that that it was the time to to do this. What stops Azerbaijan from saying Armenia proper, you were really Azerbaijan, we're going to take you over. I mean, the thing is, help me understand where the line is for Azerbaijan or the world. What stops them from continuing? Well, the there is a, a principle, one among many in the United Nations that, and they just mentioned it again about territorial integrity, that uh, countries should not attack other countries with the purpose of taking over territory. Okay, so that's one. Number two, there are numerous uh, security agreements between Armenia and either the you know uh, CSO or with Russia or with other countries that if they're attacked, that they have to come to Armenia's defense. So if you have all of these, you would think that Azerbaijan would would not have the temerity or the you know the the idea that they would attack Armenia. But this kind of puts it into doubt for me. I do believe that uh, for sure that they have their eye on the southern part of Armenia uh, and that if the right time emerges, that they would attack it. So if, in fact, Nagorno-Karabakh, Artsakh falls, which there are indications that there is going to be a uh, meeting where the country, independent country is going to be handed over to Azerbaijan. What do us in America and Armenians in the, around the world do next? 
we got vocal about Nagorno-Karabakh and really nothing happened. Sure, we heard statements from different leaders, but really, no. I mean, what's our next step here? I mean, do we continue to push our governments to get involved knowing that they failed once? Well, I think you cannot ever lose hope so completely that you don't do anything. So we have to still act. And I believe that perhaps, and it's not a that's not an easy one, is that uh, Armenians in the diaspora have to have more of a say uh, in Armenia, although that's very difficult because we're not voters in Armenia. But uh, I would hope that relations between Armenia and the diaspora would be strong enough that you know, we could we could make sure that this doesn't happen to Armenia. There is a university in Stepanagert. If the country or independent republic of Artsakh, Nagorno-Karabakh, gets handed over, what happens to the university and all the other stuff that have been built in the past several decades? Well, that's that's the you know million dollar question in such such a way because uh, the diaspora poured millions of dollars into uh, Artsakh, building roads, access roads, building housing, uh, building uh, economic ventures, co co ventures with businesses. All of it will be lost. All of it will go to to uh, to the government of Azerbaijan. I don't think that they would keep an Artsakh State University as an Artsakh State University. They may keep a university, but they're going to put a Azeri in as the president, and it will have their curriculum and who knows the teachers and what and not. And then you know students are going to want to go there or not. I don't I don't see it. So it's again a very sad situation. The stuff inside the university, like the computers, the desks, the stuff that people have donated, do we ask that for that stuff back or does that stay? I mean, how does the whole transition work? Well, that not, not easy to say, but uh, technically it becomes part of Azerbaijan. So their government will decide what to do with it. It's not a matter that you can get back those desks or get back money that you've donated or get back anything. I mean... It's going to be under the complete control of Azerbaijan, and they will decide the fate of, of everything within Karabakh if, if, it's a big if still, if this goes through as as uh, as we're seeing it. And I'm not 100% sure because, again, the, the news is difficult to sometimes find uh, in accurate news from that area. Behind you, as you talk, there's a picture of a school and a church. What is the significance of this school and church? And reports suggest that Azerbaijan has control of this area. Yeah, this is the monastery of Amaras, which is one of the first um, monasteries in, in the area, in Armenia, in old Armenia, including Artsakh. Uh, and it was a place where the first school, Armenian school, language school, uh, Mesrop Mashtots, uh, opened a school here. So it's a it's a cultural icon in that sense, uh, but it is if it's been taken over uh, again, it will have a not a good fate. I do believe. Reg regarding the churches, Professor, and all the areas of significance to Armenians, is that an angle that you think we should work? I mean, I know I'm asking you a lot of difficult questions here, and I'm putting you on the spot. 
But I'm at a loss at what to do if Nagorno-Karabakh really gets handed over. Well, even after the 2020 war, there was a lot of concern about territories which were taken over by Azerbaijan, and especially in Shushi, but in other places where uh, these churches were in danger of being uh, demolished or in some way repurposed. And I've been involved uh, with a committee for at least three years through the Western Diocese. It's a it's called the Karabakh Preservation Committee. It was working hard uh, to publish uh, works and to hold conferences to bring awareness to the danger of the cultural monuments uh, that were in Artsakh. Uh, but now we're at a different level completely because if the entire uh, country is taken over, then there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of Christian monuments which would be in danger of being uh, demolished, literally, or destroyed. So it's a very critical period. I think you'd still want to work with uh, major international organizations to see if there is a way to mitigate that and to make sure that it doesn't happen. But again, Azerbaijan will have a great leeway to do so. Some people have suggested that if this happens and the 120,000 Armenians living in Artsakh, Nagorno-Karabakh, are forced to flee, that that is the line, that uh, Aliyev cannot cross that line, and that sanctions will be hit on him for doing that. Is that like the line here, do you think? I mean, is there, first of all, maybe the better question is, is there a line for him to cross here where the countries and the world says enough is enough? Because there have been a lot of vocal people talking, no action yet, but there's been a lot of vocal people talking against Aliyev. I don't see anything happening. I don't see. I don't see a red line. I I think he he constantly just pushes forward, and he will continue to do so with the idea that it's going to take military force to stop them. So, as of right now, I haven't seen any country even close to wanting to really strongly uh, denounce the actions taken, including the United States, uh, where a few senators have spoken up, but the president has been silent. Um, and most of the Congress has been silent while this has taken place. So am I going to believe that suddenly uh, he's going to find some some kind of line that he's going to say, I won't cross it? Why would you? Why would you stop? You keep going until you're either defeated or or somebody is going to actually use some sort of leverage that, that will actually work. Tell us a little bit about Armenia itself. I mean, the Armenian president came out and said, Armenia is not fighting in this fight. In essence, saying, Artsakh, you're on your own. I mean, is that accurate? And isn't that a problem for a lot of people who are Armenian to say, how could you do this, prime minister? Yeah, it's difficult, but, I, uh, you know, what can you do? I mean... <laughs> Again, it's the situation is just so so difficult that I don't see any solution to it. Does this change the way you teach Armenian studies? You've been doing this professor for decades, and you I've noticed you tie in, you know, current affairs here and there to the studies. If Nagorno-Karabakh Artsakh falls and is handed over to Azerbaijan, 
does that change the way you teach things or, or are you going to incorporate that into your lessons? Well, yes, it's part of Armenian culture and part of Armenian history. So whatever happens, especially we want to keep that memory alive and keep keep the story and the history, the true history alive. Um, I was, I guess, fortunate in a way to have been in Armenia in 1988 uh, at the beginning of the Karabakh movement, was part of the meetings uh, that were held in uh, Yerevan in the Opera Square. So unfortunately, I've been like kind of an eyewitness to the whole arc of the story from the earliest moments of uh, the people of Karabakh wanting to declare their independence or to, to join with Armenia through wars, uh, through other kinds of uh, actions. And now we've reached this point. So I think the best thing we can do in the academic world is to teach and to teach accurately uh, and to to see if you can, you know, see where things went wrong or what what could be changed. I mean, it's hard to see it in the moment, but we're all going to look back in a few years and we're going to say, you know, this is what happened and this is why it happened. It's a little too fresh right now, but uh, I think that will happen. To the Armenian communities around the world, the Armenian Americans being a major component of that, to your students and your former students, if they're feeling discouraged, what's your advice to them? Well, I think we have cannot be discouraged. Yes, we, we want to be discouraged, but I think it's actually just a, a call to be more involved because, uh, you know, being discouraged means you don't do anything. And that's not this, what the situation calls for. So whether it's continuing to try to influence or to talk to representatives in our government or to work harder with uh, organizations doing projects in Armenia, uh, we have to we have to continue to do that. We have to continue to engage. We cannot isolate and pull back. We can't we can't say that, you know, uh, well, no, nah, I don't want to be involved over there anymore. We, we want to stay involved uh, to the extent we, we can and and to give ourselves a voice, because unless we do that, we will have no voice. Do you think this makes Armenia stronger? And the reason I bring that up is. After the war in 2020, you saw this emergence of people wanting to visit Armenia, some people repatriated to Armenia, build Armenia's economy. Now with a blow like this, do you see that people are going to say, wait a minute, you know, they took Karabakh, Artsakh, Magorno, Karabakh, we got to go help Armenia before that's gone? Because there's people who are saying that as well. I think there's going to be a wide spectrum of uh, reaction. Um, certainly, again, there are still a lot of people who want to stay engaged, uh, are still considering going to Armenia. Um, and I think you have to encourage that because, again, they need that participation from the outside so that they don't feel isolated and feel like there's no hope in Armenia either. So we don't want to be in a, uh, that kind of mood uh, uh, there. So that means we need to be involved. Is part of the problem here that the international community, most of the international community, community recognized Nagorno-Karabakh as part of Azerbaijan? Is that why the outcry is not? Because like, I could imagine if point to any other country in the world and another country comes to invade it, 
I could imagine that there would be serious outrage. Look what's happening in Ukraine. So is the problem that Artsakh never officially got recognition as an independent country or part of Armenia? Well, that's a, that's an interesting question. It's a good what if. We're kind of seeing the result of it not being so, right? So this has now happened because it's not, or one of the reasons why it was not uh, recognized. So it's it's hard to it's hard to figure out things just you know what ifs because we don't really know what what if what would have happened. Um, certainly, we're going to look back again, as I said, and you know each of the former presidents of Armenia and Karabakh have to be held responsible for what they did or didn't do when they were in office, and that's hard to do now. But uh, there will be political scientists and historians who will study the record and and see where the Armenians perhaps could have said something differently or you know misspoke or did something differently so that we can we can have a better chance at at life in the future that's where i was going to go next if there's somebody at fault here could we say it's prior armenian presidents or administrations and the reason i asked the question is if I know that my neighbor is going to is out to get me and hates me and I know that the neighbor on the other side hates me and I'm just the little country there in between them I'm going to fortify my positions and build my fence to be as hard as possible it doesn't seem like the Armenian military really did that I mean you know sure they they fought sure they fought hard in 2020 I mean, they put up a huge resistance, but like, may, was more supposed to be done? I mean, who's at blame for not building the armies that they should have? Well, that's that's the one where I would go back, and I can't put my finger at the exact moment, but certainly uh, former presidents of Armenia, prime ministers of Armenia, uh, must have or should have been aware of what was happening in Artsakh, and what what the players in the region are doing and the status quo turned out to be not much uh, of a good thing. In other words, Armenians kind of thought that if we just kind of don't say anything and just keep living here, maybe they'll stop bothering us. Uh, but in fact, they used it as a pretext, right, for their attack. They said uh, Armenians are uh, terrorists or they're using, you know, blowing up people or something. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, it it's 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 just that it could happen again. I mean, and we're, we're seeing it. We're running out of time, Professor, this week on the program. But Armenia is in a unique spot now. Whether or not Nagorno-Karabakh gets ceded to Azerbaijan, it's looking like that, as much as I hate to say it. Now Armenia is a unique, in a unique position. The reliance on Russia, or do you turn west? And... The fact that just a, a week before we're recording this show that U.S. military drills were done in Armenia and now we're losing Nagorno-Karabakh tells me that Russia was a major player because they were not happy with Armenia and they have not been happy with Armenia. But what do you do as Armenia now? Do you now kiss the ring of Russia and say, you know, we need you to protect us, or do you keep this kind of movement west and hope that the United States or France or someone from the West steps in? Well, I think again, um, 
Armenia's diplomacy has been lacking and uh, that's we we always need to talk you know we always need to be able to speak to our neighbors whether it's Azerbaijan or Turkey you know you don't have to always agree you don't have to uh, be forcibly made to agree but I think we have to develop our diplomacy and really 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 rationally and you know very carefully figure out where the best interests of Armenia are which which country or countries which allies or allies would be able to really support Armenia in a time like this. Do we have that kind of ally? I don't know. But I, I think the government's responsibility is to know that, to find it out and to figure out uh, where to go. And unfortunately, they haven't been successful so far, but we, we definitely want to hope for the future. This is a tough question, but final question for you. Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan. Could he survive politically after this? I mean, around after the first war, there were people saying he needs to resign. Now there are people protesting in front of the Armenian government building, again, calling him a traitor. Could he survive this? Is there a way for him to survive this? Well, he survived the the 44-day war, which was kind of a greater shock in that sense. But if we were to lose... Karabakh completely, I think he should resign because it was on his watch. I mean, you know, we don't, again, vote in the elections in Armenia. So it's going to be up to the voters in Armenia to really have their voice heard. But he's been a failed failed presidency. If he's lost Karabakh, that's, a, that's an incalculable loss. Professor, in your classes, I loved the history and taking the history courses of the region in Armenia. And it's, to me, it's, I'm in an odd spot because I could see this going into history as Armenians were once in Karabakh, Azerbaijan invaded and took, took it. You know, it's an odd place as former students because we've heard these stories of Armenians being, look at Cilicia where there were Armenians for hundreds of years, and now, you know, there's no kingdom there. So it's going to be interesting to see. Thank you for your time this week. Thank you, Sevag. I appreciate you having me on the show. That's all for this edition of San Joaquin Spotlight. Thank you to our audience members watching this on CMAC, Comcast 93, and AT&T 99. Thank you also to those listening to Talk Radio 1550, KX, EX, and to those worldwide listening to the podcast, on Spotify for podcasters. I'm your host, Sevag Tatiosian. Our guest this week has been Professor Barlo Dermagurdichian of the Armenian Studies Program at Fresno State, talking about the latest out of Nagorno-Karabakh and Artsakh, really in shock that it could be ceded to Azerbaijan because of the force used. Tune in next week to a new edition. program was made possible in part by FaceLogic Essential Skin Care and Spa in Clovis.